We are live, sir. You didn't give me a countdown. I did not. You threw me for a loop there, John. I know. No I know. three, two, one. <laughs> Whoa, three, April two, one. Was that April Fools? Is that it what you just is. did to me? I I was playing that all day. You know, every single year I tell everybody on the thirtieth of March, I tell myself I'm not going to get got this year. Right. And you just got me. Boom. All day long, I was good. You got me. Um, you have one shout out because I don't have any because we have an incredible guest on again today and I have so much to chat with. Absolutely. To him. Um, yeah. So I'll let you do your shout out and I'll get to it. All right. Very good. Uh, well, this is prime time number one for us, which I'm very excited about. Uh, but yesterday, March 31st, a uh, very good friend of mine turned 50. His name is Timmy. Tim, happy birthday, sir. And today, his beautiful mom turned 40. 40. She's, she's hanging around 40. Uh, and happy birthday to you as well. Great lady, uh, great mom, and just, just really cool. So happy birthday. And I know Tim's a big fan of the show, so happy birthday, Tim. He is. He watches he, almost every very week. Very supportive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to turn it back over to you. Make awesome. this short because we do want to get in. I have no shout outs. I have a long introduction for our um, esteemed. esteemed guest again. Excellent. I'm not going to goof it up this time. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I said he was a politician, he corrected me. He's a lifelong public servant. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about why he doesn't call himself a politician. Mm -hmm. He served as a law enforcement officer for a large part of his career. He's most recently been a candidate for mayor at the city of Chicago. He's previously been a commander of several different precincts in New York City. And if I'm wrong, I know he's going to correct me. Uh, he became the deputy commissioner of operations in New York City. He was a ground zero during September 11th in New York. He took over the Newark Police Department, where just like in New York, crime drastically got reduced. He then became the police superintendent for the city of Chicago. And as I mentioned, he ran for mayor. We have a really important mayor runoff tomorrow um, between uh, Tony Preckwinkle and Lori Lightfoot. And um, Mr. McCarthy was kind enough to come back and chat with us about his experiences for the election, uh, Chicago politics. Uh, we'll talk about Jesse a little bit because that's a hot topic, and I know he wants to touch on it. John for sure wants to touch on it. But uh, did I goof that up, Gary, or did I get it right? No, this you time? did fine. As okay, a matter good. of fact, I think we're done, right? I think we're done. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I'm out of here. See time you guys. Thanks again for coming on. My pleasure. Um, let's start with your experience uh, running for mayor and. Ups, downs, positives, negatives? So, uh, I mean, it, you know, I did it for almost a year. Unlike uh, people like Tony Preckwinkle, who did it for four months after Rom dropped out. Uh, very, very disappointing. Um, I kind of had fun because uh, I like speaking truth to power. I don't hold my tongue. And um, I got to tell a lot of people a lot of things that they didn't want to hear but were necessary. And uh, that I found refreshing, cathartic, if you will. <clears throat> um, I love talking to people, so it was a lot of fun for me. Everywhere I went, it wasn't like I was working at campaigning, it was just being Gary and you know, talking to people and having a good time. So, so that part of it was fun. Uh, it was very disappointing uh, the way it ended up, um, obviously. Um, you know, because I, I did it, in my book, for the right reasons. I did it because I wanted to make a difference. I did it because I couldn't stand by and watch what was happening in this city. And in the end, um, 
You know, I have a, a, a decent relationship, a good relationship with Lori Lightfoot. Uh, I have no relationship with Tony Preckwinkle. But they're both two left-sided progressive candidates. Um, and, and I thought the city was ready to go in a different direction. I thought we were tired of people dying. You know, I thought we were tired of the, the politics as usual. And uh, what it turned out to be, and I, and I realized this as it was happening, uh, it's tribal warfare politics in this city. If you're in this tribe, that's where you're going. If you're in that tribe, that's where you're going. And people came to the table. Bill Daly came to the table with the Daly crew. Uh, you know, Mendoza came to the table with her crew, and Tony Preckwinkle came with hers. And, you know, that just kind of blew a whole bunch of things up. And, and people looked at the election and so many people running for office and the low turnout and the tribal warfare just turned it into a farce in my book. So, and, and that's not even talking about the whole press thing. I mean, that's yeah. a whole nother issue that we could spend an hour talking about. But the press was trying to anoint the mayor, not elect one. Yeah. Um, they stopped paying attention to virtually every candidate except for four of them. And at the end of the day, um, it didn't work. And I could give you example after example of things that they did. Uh, one, of our, one of our papers did four out of five days, they did negative articles on me when I explained the law of felony murder, which had it that the two officers who got hit by the train while they were pursuing the guy who was firing shots, which I think I heard people say was just a minor discretion, <laughs> transgression, I should say, firing shots in a public arena. Um, when they got killed by that train, that individual could have been charged with felony murder. Sure. Now, that, that's not my opinion. That's the law. Right. It's factual. Right. Yet I got castigated four days out of five by the Sun-Times. And when we tried to respond, they wouldn't take an op-ed from me. So it, it, really phenomenal. And then, you know, some other things that the Tribune did and some of the other radio stations, it's just, it's really, they're part of the problem. And it's, it's really, it, it pains my heart to see that we're in the place that we're in. But I understand why we are. It's because of the processes that we use and those things right there. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like, not, not really an aha, but I thought what, that we were over it. I thought we were done with the things that put us in this place and we were ready to move on. Yeah, there's a lot to digest there, but I think the overlying thought is Chicago itself didn't really want change. And it, you know, low voter turnout, um, the Chicago uh, political machine, like you said, it's uh, you equate it to tribal warfare, um, sometimes not taking you know your opposition piece to that. Chicago just doesn't want change. And one thing that was, and I, I've said this a couple times, John reached out to everybody to see if they would come and talk to us. And we're a tiny little operation, and you were the only person that gave a crap to come talk to the average person. Yep. And to me, I kept telling anybody that would listen, the Chicago politicians don't seem, at least in my book and our experiences, to care to talk to the average person. You were gracious with your time. You spoke to us. You spoke to us after the show. And then watching you out in public, you're like you said, you're just talking to people. And then seeing how the first election turned out, it just seems like the city itself, and it's sad, doesn't want change. It's just, it's, a, it's an awful 
place to be for somebody who, and this is another bone I have to pick with uh, the whole process. I, and John and I spoke about this too. I have a couple businesses in Chicago, but I live in the northern suburbs now, and I don't even have a vote, even though what happens in Chicago really badly affects me, uh, maybe more so than somebody who's renting an apartment here, and no knock to that, but I'm affected so dramatically, but my hands were tied. I could just get the voice out, um, but it seems like Chicago didn't want any change. Well, the system is rigged. I mean, yeah. it, it, it seriously is, and I'm going to give you a number of examples. Sure. First of all, the February election. It's the only general election in the country in February, February, in Chicago. Now, why would you have an election in February in Chicago? Well, to have a low voter turnout so that the machine or the incumbent has the upper hand. It's interesting. That's first. Second of all, if you want to become the governor of the state of Illinois, to get on the ballot, you have to collect 5,000 valid signatures. Yet to become the mayor of the city of Chicago in Illinois, you have to collect 12,500. And there's 60 different ways to knock a signature off a petition. 60. So to make sure that we got 12,500, we collected 60,000. And we only submitted 50,000. So the, the petition process is a, is, a, is a problem. But then the other thing is special interests and in unions should not be allowed to make campaign donations, period. Yeah. Because that's just buying an elected official. And we saw it with SEIU and CTU giving Tony Preckwinkle, I think, $2 million. Um, <laughs> how about Ken Griffin giving uh, Bill Daly $2 million back-to-back? Mm -hmm. -back? Uh, it's just insanity and uh, just very disappointing, yeah. very disappointing. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a manager, right? I managed God knows how many people in, in a 35-year career. I've been a manager since 1985 when I made sergeant in the NYPD. And the way that we reduce crime in policing is through business management, systems management to produce outcomes that you're looking for. You put your inputs in, you set up your internal systems, you manage them, and you get your outputs. So the thing that I say all the time is the system will produce what the system is designed to produce, and that's what we're seeing here in Chicago. Same results over and over. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to change. You know, and, and I used to have the discussion with my wife. I wouldn't say an argument because I can't argue with this. She's a trial lawyer. It's a waste <laughs> of time. And she would say, Gary, it's never going to change. And I would say, it's not going to change until somebody changes it. And everywhere I went, that's what I heard. People said we need change. People said we need change. Now, having said that, you know, Tony Preckwinkle or, or Lori Lightfoot are going to be a change from... It, Tony Preckwinkle is the machine politician now, but it's a different machine than we're accustomed to here in Chicago. Right. And, and Laurie is very progressive. Uh, I like her a lot. We don't agree politically on a lot of issues, but she and I did very well when she was in charge of the, uh, the police board, and I was the police superintendent. We worked very well together, and I anticipate that Laurie will, will get things done around theater that haven't been done in a long time but I'm a little nervous about how far left we're gonna go. Right. And that's not law and order. And that's really concerning to me. And that's what we see, and I hate to go right there, but that's what we see now with Kim Fox. That's the left-leaning agendas that wanna keep people out of jail instead of holding them accountable for their behaviors. Accountability does not only apply to the police, but apparently that's what we do here in Chicago.
Yeah. Elected officials aren't accountable for what they do. That's why we had four sitting aldermen with legal troubles at the time of the February 26th election. And, and uh, they're not accountable to their constituents. So... <clears throat> Well, you did a good bump and set into this. We will, let's get into the Kim Fox thing. I'll take your take on it. I think we have a very similar take on what happened there. Um, you know, we spoke before we went on air about how the process really wasn't even a legal process of her recusing herself. So I'll right. let you kind of explain that. And yeah, to, to recuse yourself, you have to petition a judge. She didn't do that. She just said, I'm recusing myself. And then she went to the Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> right. And nobody seems to have a problem with that, which really blows my mind. She's got a crisis. She's got a, she's got a high-profile heater case in her office, and she steps out and goes to California to party. So that, that tells you something about her character. But the, the problem is, and, and my first spin on this, you, you know, Kim Fox is a puppet for Tony Preckwinkle. Yep. Tony Preckwinkle put her in office. Tony Preckwinkle's machine is behind her. And I thought from the beginning that this is some sort of a political move by Preckwinkle to garner some political capital in that progressive world that wants to keep people out of jail. Um, but now, with uh, Michelle Obama's chief of staff involved, uh, I don't know how far this thing goes, but it definitely needs a DOJ investigation, I can tell you that. Um, she didn't follow process. You don't just dismiss charges like that after a 16-count indictment. And if the, if the nonsense excuse that we're hearing today is that, well, that case was falling apart, that's why the prosecutors want people to go to a grand jury to lock them in with their testimony. And that's the end of it. Right. You can't change your story once it's on paper right. and on you're, audio. You're impeached, as we yeah. call it, Ma. Yeah. So, it, you know, this whole thing stinks. The whole thing stinks. And, and the problem is, here's just another thing that people don't realize. We may have spoken about this last time. But everybody talks about the low homicide clearance rate here in Chicago. Kim Fox will not charge people. And that has something to do with the clearance rate. That's how you clear a case. I identify the criminal. I charge him. I arrest him. We prosecute him. The case is cleared. <laughs> if you can't charge them, that's a vast majority of the cases that are not going to be cleared. So, I mean, if you don't put criminals in jail, they keep committing crime. And, you know, that's all part of the problem that we have here. Yeah, the whole thing, uh, John and I actually spoke about this when we were uh, at dinner earlier. We said, you know, it, to me it was astonishing. I have a legal background. I have a law degree that it got to a grand jury indictment and then got thrown out. At that point, if you've gone through all 16 counts, him being indicted on all 16 counts, there's evidence there to move forward and prosecute somebody. It, it's, it almost sets a frightening precedent now that you can actually get through that whole process, have charges thrown out, and then say, well, it was a nonviolent crime. Well, me going 100 miles an hour is a nonviolent crime, but it's a crime nonetheless. You can't not punish that. Um, and yeah, now with... Uh, if, you, if you were drinking, it would be a crime. Right. And if you ran somebody over, it would be a crime also. Right. <laughs> so to prevent that from happening, you get charged when you drive 100 miles an hour. Right. But that's the not process. what we do here. The other thing that I find fascinating about this is that you know, Mo, you talked about the fact that, that you, you're a lawyer. Um, my wife is a lawyer, like I said, and uh, she and all her friends are so upset with the lack of integrity 
that we're seeing and the lack of due process being followed by the state's attorney. And I think it was the Illinois Bar Association came out with a two-pager that I read uh, yesterday or the day before that laid out the best practices in lawyering, if you will, and how to handle these high-profile cases and what you should and shouldn't do. And everything they said you should do, Kim Fox didn't do, and everything they said you shouldn't do, Kim Fox did do. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. It's just Chicago, I guess. That's the only thing I could say. The, the phone calls and text messages and emails that I'm getting from my friends across the country, everybody's like, what the heck is going on out there? Yeah. Well, I got coming, leaving, I was leaving Mexico last week when we were in the airport. We are sitting next to the people that were going outside of Chicago, and the news had actually just dropped the same day I was flying that the charges were dropped, and somebody laughed and said, you guys are from Chicago. Apparently, uh, laws don't count there in Chicago, and they were sending me, obviously, all the R. Kelly photos, and yeah. R. Kelly's happy this happened. He needs the same attorney. Yeah, I heard Chapo's uh, trying to get his trial here. Yeah, moved move, <laughs> move to Chicago. <laughs> We're, we're dropping charges in Chicago. That was the uh, that was the meme. But the other thing I heard again when I was out of the country was, is Chicago safe? We spoke about it last time you were on. And again, I flew out of the country. And in a country where people presume there's a safety issue, Mexico, people are asking, is Chicago safe? And uh, somebody had just asked, does Gary see himself taking any active roles to help bring change to the city post-election? It's something we chatted about. But what do you think... Uh, the city needs to do to help bring the crime rate back down because you were doing a damn good job of it um, and now it's going back in the other direction what does the city have to do and to answer his question and anything you want to do post-election to have an active role well you know um, this is really hard for me because I spent 35 years as a police officer it was definitely what I was supposed to be doing in my life I had enormous success just about everywhere I went. Very fortunate all at the same time, and that's why I advanced as far as I did in my career. You have to be lucky and good if you're gonna succeed, you know? And um, I mean, that's why I ran for office, is because I hate to see what's going on here. And, you know, if, if asked, it would be very difficult for me not to help out in some fashion. Does that mean I wanna be the police superintendent again? Absolutely not. But, you know, if there's some way that I could help, I will because that's how I am. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what's gonna happen here. I'm focused on building my business back up. As I told you guys, this election cost me a heck of a lot of money and lost salary and money out of my pocket and Kristen's pocket. Um, so it's gonna take me a while to get back from that because, you know, I'm not the guy who came into the campaign with $5 million in my pocket. And I think that's the, that's the piece that a lot of people are missing. You're a hardworking guy that had a business and you ran to make change. You didn't come in here and say, okay, I got, like you said, five million bucks, and if I lose this thing... I'm not entitled to be the mayor. <laughs> yeah, not entitled enough to be the mayor. Exactly yeah, right. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think people don't realize how, um, how much... And you, like you said, you ran very early. You said from the get-go, I'm going to run I because of second, Rob. I was the second person to declare. Right. First person was Troy Lavriere, who couldn't get the signatures. So and you, you were the... the Really, the first person who ended up on the ballot who had who yeah. said they would run. Yep. And you said you were going to run against Rom. You ran a long campaign, and like you said, if you got if you're a business person with a wife, kids, and a family, and you're relying on your income and and your work, the the sacrifice you made um, to get to a place where Chicago then didn't want change. I, I mean, for me, it would make me very um, I don't want to say down on the process, but more. Uh, 
not trusting of the process. Uh, the, the, yeah, it's the, not. It almost doesn't become worth it. The, the, maybe. <laughs> the, well, you, you, you said it well. You said if somebody asked me, it'd be very hard because you've been such a great public servant for so long. But I would look at it like if I put myself in your shoes, if the city doesn't want change. If there's this tribal kind of uh, warfare going on, I wouldn't sacrifice you know everything else to do it again. Yeah. But you know what? I, I'm the eternal optimist. Yeah. And that's a, that's a character flaw <laughs> because many times I'm too trusting of people, which is kind of odd considering, you know, my background and all the experiences I've had. Yeah. You know, I, I used to joke that somebody said that they would stick a knife in my back, but there's no more room. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've been down those roads too many times, but yet I still, uh, I don't know, I, I still think better of people and, I, and, and I'm just shocked that we are where we are. Well, John has a question. You want to ask it, John? No math, please. Okay, yeah, it's no math. He goes, your thoughts on Rom? What, did you bump and set that one for him? Mm-hmm. My thoughts on Rom? Your thoughts on Rom. Um, <laughs> I, I, I almost threw up in my mouth when I saw his righteous indignation about the Jesse Smollett case. I was going to ask you, <laughs> if you hadn't touched on it after you gave your thoughts, I was going to ask your thoughts on that because that was the first thing I saw when I boarded the plane was his, his quick to, yeah. his quick statement. Yeah, the same guy who got up in front of the city council and cried after he fired me saying, I'm sorry. And you know what? Only one reporter asked him the question, well, what are you sorry for? And... No, 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 I'm sorry. One reporter asked him, what did I do that I got fired? And then nobody asked him what he was sorry for. Because if they asked him, he would have said, I'm sorry I took the advice of my corporation counsel and hid that video. That's what he would have said. And we would have been in an entirely different place. Yeah. But, you know, his righteous indignation. And uh, I, I got a kick out of it the other day. I was on another radio show and... They asked me, uh, you know, was Ron telling the truth when he got out there and when he was so angry and so on? And I couldn't help myself. I said, were his lips moving? And they said, yeah. I said, well, then take it for what it is. Yeah. Does that answer your question well, John? Pretty much. Gets I could me. go a lot further, but I probably shouldn't. Yeah, that's, that's fine. I just wanted the general overview, see what you thought, because I knew the history. But well, I, can, uh, I can tell you this. I can tell you this, and, and I'm... I'm I'm being serious about this. Okay. I, in, in my police career, I've interviewed murderers, rapists, and pedophiles. And I can tell you that in most cases, they have more integrity than other people who we might be talking about because they had circumstances that put them into those places. I'll never make an excuse for a criminal. Don't right. get me wrong. I'm not right. making an excuse for them. But I have an understanding as to how they got there. Mm-hmm. This guy chooses to be the way he is. He doesn't have to be like that. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth on the North Shore. Yeah, All right, I well well answered. Yes, very very. I well. think it's the answer that John wanted too. He's yeah. he's smiling back there. <laughs> so, obviously, I I think neither one of the candidates are going to do the job you did on the crime front, and uh, it's complex, like he said last time. What about some of the other stuff? Schools. You know, we, obviously we have some issues with inner city schools and funding. Do you think that um, that's going to be an issue that's going to get better in this term? Do you think it's going to be one that's campaigned about but forgotten about once uh, the campaign ends? Well, let me let me start from the beginning, which is if Preckwinkle becomes the mayor, it's going to get worse because she'll be owned by the CTU. Yeah. Right. So let's start there. 
And if the CTU spent half as much time putting their effort into teaching the children instead of their political front, uh, I think we'd be in a much better place. And, and the teachers who I speak to don't support the CTU and their politics, but they're arm twisted into participating in it. So, you know, that's just a flawed system right there. And if the CTU has influence over the mayor, then this, it's not going to get any better. Yeah. It's not going to get any better. And the more I dove into the schools, the worse I saw it got. The reason why we have so many sex abuse scandals is because the, the system of reporting it, if, if a child gets sexually abused in a school today, it doesn't get reported to the police until after it's investigated internally by, That's insane. by the school That's system. That's insanity. Of course it's insanity. Of course it's insanity. The first thing I said was there has to be an immediate notification to the police. Well, people who will investigate it appropriately and without bias. You know, just like making a false Shoot. report. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, the, the last thing that I want to say about the Smollett thing is the reckless nature of what he did. It's not like we don't have a race problem in this city. Right. And if that was the match that lit the gasoline, Oof. imagine how bad that could have been. Yeah. Yep. Right? If people started going out and rioting based upon this incident allegedly happening. Mm -hmm. So the reckless nature of it also has to be realized. It's not like you got drunk and reported your car stolen because you didn't know where you parked it, which, by the way, happens more than you know. <laughs> and we're probably better off that those people can't find their cars. Yeah. But by the same token, this is a, a very serious thing. Very. And, uh, you know, as you noticed, as soon as it happened, everybody jumped on board. This is a modern-day lynching and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. All the elected officials and politicians came out screaming about it. And then when we find out that it's not true, you got to hold the person accountable who did it. But instead, now the person who did it has righteous indignation, talking about suing the police. Which, by mm -hmm. the way, to be clear... The investigation was supervised by the state's attorney's office. The indictment was brought by the state's attorney's office. So, you know, again, Chicago PD is getting kicked in the butt for something that somebody else did. And uh, that's not okay. And I think that's what people, the average layperson might not understand. The indictment was brought by the state's attorney's office. I, I, a couple of people said, well, the police are charging them with this. And I said you're not understanding how the process of this situation worked. And I agree with you. It's reckless in the sense that it, there's a huge racial issue in the city. And what you've basically done is you're almost like the boy who cried wolf now. So uh, a, it uh, takes away the legitimacy of some people who really had an issue and B you're a person who has a gigantic following. I mean, I don't watch empire, but he's, he's uh, by all means a pretty popular guy. How reckless was it that you would, First of all, one of those stupid crimes we were laughing, John and I were laughing about, hmm. like, if you could think of how stupid mm -hmm. of a process of that crime you set in motion, <laughs> it was a stupid crime, but how reckless it was to do something like that. Like you said, I didn't even think about it, but if that had started a riot where somebody had been killed or something had been burnt to the ground or multiple people had been killed, police officers had been killed, bystanders would have been killed, and you made that up, that has to be punished. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's outlandish that it's not being punished. Yeah. I think it is. A, I mean, they were saying it's, he's not violent, but he is inciting violence inside people at a very aggressive um, level. It's, uh, I never thought about it that way, but yeah, it's crazy. Well, back to the schools. I think that's what you Yeah, back to the schools. I mean, I think, what I think could they the, do? I think under Laurie, 
we have a shot to, to get it better, quite yeah. frankly. She, Laurie is very thoughtful, very intelligent. Um, and I have high expectations, even if we don't agree politically, for her administration. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I mean, it's, again, I can't vote tomorrow, but um, you know, you've lived this election out very intimately, and you've um, got to know both candidates uh, on a level that the viewers probably actually definitely don't know on that level. And the fact that you think that she, um, she can affect some change, I, I hope tomorrow she comes out victorious and we yeah. can see at least some change. If we have forward motion, that makes me happy. It's, uh, we were talking uh, uh, in the office earlier today and I said, you know, whoever your elected leader is, you want to see them do well. It's like asking your pilot, you know, saying, oh, I hate my pilot. I don't want him to land the plane well. It's crazy. So whoever it ends up being elected, I hope they do better for the city because we need better. Yeah, and, and, you know, people say I don't like either one, so I'm not going to vote. That's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. That's the wrong thing to do. And, and just to be clear, Lori and I worked together, and uh, we, had a, we had a very good working relationship when she was with the police board and I was the superintendent. Like I said, she's very thoughtful, very intelligent, definitely hardworking, and, uh, you know, she's way further left than I am, but so that's okay. Right. That's, this is the United States. It's supposed to be like that. I can't say that about Preckwinkle. I can tell you that if she wins the election, it shut off the lights and the last guy out grabbed the flag. That's what I honestly think. Now, Lori won the first round in votes, correct? correct? She was ahead. Yes. Do you think now the rest of the votes of the rest of the candidates will sort itself out similar? Or do you think um, they could um, go against Lori in this situation? I, I think that most of the candidates would be backing Lori. Lori. As, as a matter of fact, I think just about every one of them did. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anybody who gave an endorsement, I'm pretty certain, gave it to Lori. Interesting. Well, well these, but, you know, look, one of, the, one of the strikes against Tony is the fact that she's a political opportunist who jumped into this when Ron jumped out. She's not doing it for anybody who lives in the city except for herself. And she's a machine candidate. She's the chair of the Democratic Party. She ran for two offices at the same time. She's had scandal after scandal after scandal on her watch. And if, if you think that she could do a better job than Laurie, take a look at what's happening in the county. How's that going on? And the other thing that I find fascinating is I got, again, to listen to her talk time after time about, about injustices of the criminal justice system, but she's in charge of it. <laughs> she holds the purse strings for the judiciary, the state's attorney, the jails, and the defense attorneys. She runs the criminal justice system here in Chicago, and she's complaining about it. If you think it's working, then just keep doing the same thing. Yeah. Any uh, either candidate you think stronger on the uh, the taxation issue? I mean, we got crazy property tax. It's on a county level. Um, you know, the city has no shortage of new taxes popping up, and somebody had asked the question, um, one or the other better on uh, taxation? <laughs> Does does sugar tax ring a bell? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I wasn't going to answer the question, pretty, but that's a pretty easy one. It's yeah, pretty they easy bump one. and set that one for you too. Yeah, no, she and and Preckwinkle has said that she will raise taxes. Yeah. So I mean, there's your answer right there. Yeah, it's uh, we I had a I don't make a lot of political social media posts just because I just don't. Um, I had a post about uh, taxes recently and. 
almost everybody agreed how overtaxed we are. And a couple people said, well, why wouldn't you pay those taxes? Pay for your fair share of taxes. I said, I do pay for my fair share of taxes. Back off. But, uh, yeah, that was another question we had pop up. Um, I always liked that one when I was a police officer. And people would tell me that they pay my salary. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, I pay my taxes, too. Yeah. And like, you pay oh. your own salary. I didn't, I didn't think of that. <laughs> you pay yourself every day. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Um, it's always funny when somebody gets really mad about the whole tax thing. And I'm like, we, we all pay taxes. Trust me. I pay. Mm-hmm. Um, John, any questions from you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I knew you had a couple. I have a few more left too, but I, I, I want to include you in. Um, so you just dipping your toe in the water, so to speak. Uh, things you learned as far as like, you know, I'll sit at home and watch the debates and they kind of go back and forth and I have my own views on the media. But you being there, and I, I was astounded and have been time and again, but this time, uh, the amount of questions that would go to one person or another, and, and it was really, let's say there's 10 of you up there, and three people got 70%. Oh, you noticed that too, huh? <laughs> and it was like... I just, there were so many times I'm sitting there and I'm, it's not even because you had been on the show, which, you know, thank you. But still, I mean, even other people who I had no, I have no connection with, I'm thinking I would like, I'm tuning in to hear what these people have to say. And I know what Tony and Lori, let's say, and Susan, it seemed like she was a big favorite. Um, Cause they had all kinds of press. I was tuning in because I wanted well, Lori, to hear. Lori was to get the press. As a matter of fact, the WGN debate, mm-hmm. go back and take a look. Okay. Um, I think there were 10 of us on the stage, and when they yeah. asked the law enforcement questions, they didn't answer the cop. They didn't ask the cop and the U.S. attorney. Yeah. <laughs> they asked everybody else about Astounding. it. Astounding. Yeah. They it asked was, everybody else. Yeah. And Laurie and I are sitting there looking at each other like, like what the hell? Am, am I visible <laughs> here? You know? And, so, um, yeah, and, and I felt that there, there's such a gravitational pull that I was feeling mm-hmm. after September when Ron dropped out. Mm-hmm. Before September when Ron was in, it was fine. You know, I was ready to go toe-to-toe with this guy. No okay. problem. Yeah. Easy, yeah. right? Um, but the, the, the game changed dramatically, and, and the tribal warfare started. Preckwinkle came with her clan. <laughs> Daly came with his, Mendoza with hers, and Gary Chico has his. All at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I made the joke that the 90s called and they wanted their politicians back. <laughs> but, you know, apparently that's just the way things go here. And, and the, the press, I can't tell you how many times, how many stories. Here's something I actually ask you guys to do or somebody out there to do. Go back and look at the Tribune editorial board interview that I was on because this one astounded me. Um, they asked one question that was very specific. And they said, in the first year, what would you do to raise the $300 million that we need for the pension ramp that's coming in 2020? And I I ticked off five things that gave us $400,000, to $400 million, I'm sorry, $400 million. And I put a price tag on each one, right? One year moratorium on on TIF spending, uh, something called payment in lieu of taxation for nonprofits, um, parking ticket amnesty, so on and so forth. And I put a price tag on every one of those that we garnered each time we, we did that or could have done that. 
-hmm. and it came out to $400 million. When they wrote the article the next day, and there were four of us in the room, I think, I don't know if Lori, I think Lori was there, um, Amaro was there, and Jerry Joyce was there. He attacked me on crime. I, I, that's the first <laughs> time I really got to know Jerry, who I've come to like, but I don't know what he was thinking. But, yeah. uh, but um, take a look at the article, because what, what Bill Ruthard wrote the next day was, we asked a question about how would you raise the money to make that first pension payment in the first year, and none of the candidates gave a specific answer. And I was like, I couldn't be more specific. <laughs> I couldn't be I more specific. written down. Yeah. Yeah. Dollar amounts. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, but the, the, the thing is, they videoed it. Hmm. But nobody's watching the video. You're not going to watch a two-hour video of four of us droning on about things like taxes right. and schools and crime. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to read the article, and that's what they took away from it. It's a bold-faced lie. So I, I don't know. The, the press here, I, <laughs> I could just go on and on. I could go on and on. The Tribune also did something else that, to this day, I, I'm not going to get over this one. Okay. They actually, they actually, I spent two hours with two reporters explaining the facts behind the Laquan McDonald shooting, what I could and what I couldn't do, and how it played out. Okay. And they wrote a negative article, which, of course, I knew they were going to do. Sure. But the title of it was McCarthy will not admit that Van Dyke committed a crime. This is after he was convicted. I said no such thing. But that was the title of it. But you know what they did? They refreshed the story every week so that anytime you Googled me, it would keep oh, coming up. It was SEO the first, would push it back up. The first story that would come up. Oh, that is a, that's a cheap, cheap, cheap. I move. mean, is that okay? First, it's not true. Second right. of all, they obviously were doing that on purpose. That is an agit, ad, very agitated. I mean, I got agitated for you. That's such an agitating position to have to be in. I mean, it's, John, I mean, we, we've talked about this a couple of times about media just being such a, such a rough controlling arm of everything yes. politics. And yes. you had spoken, Gary, at a Chicago Association of Realtors event. I think it was a panel. And I didn't get to go to that. I was out of town. And John and I were going to go. I was out of town, so I couldn't get John the ticket because I right. was out of town. And I got a lot of text messages because you had been on the show prior to that. And everybody said that a lot of the candidates came off feeling like they had scripted. More than one person said it felt scripted until Gary got up there and was very honest. And I feel like the fact that some candidates get 70, 80, 90, almost 100% of the screen time really takes away from somebody being able to just be honest because I got so many text messages that day when you spoke and they said when he got the microphone, he was just candid, very honest, and we believed this plan. And it stinks that not only do you not get FaceTime, I didn't realize it was so negative to the fact that, yeah, everything's via Google now. So if you refresh it near the trib and they have the best SEO, it just pops up to the top over yep. and over again. Yeah. It's exactly well, what they did. It's exactly what they did. You know, and, and, they, and they did a documentary. There's a documentary uh, that's been produced about this election. Mm. And um, when I described some of the issues that we were having, not just me, the other, a lot of the other candidates, you know, mm. they called it the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse <laughs> um, when, they, when they all jumped in. Yeah. But we were all having the same problem. And uh, the documentarian actually said, so why do you think that is? And this was after I told the story of somebody going to see the, uh, the guy who gave out the jobs on the, on the Daily One, the, the, what's the right word? Not nepotism officer, the, uh, 
the the title itself is astonishing that that it actually existed. It'll come mm -hmm. to me, but um, and the guy told him, well, who 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 sent you? And he said, nobody. And that's where that phrase of we don't want nobody, nobody sent. Yeah. And when they asked me why did I think that was happening in the press, I said, well, nobody sent me. <laughs> that's why <laughs> nobody sent me. Right. Was it surprise? Was the fact that it was happening surprising, or just the uh, magnitude of it? I guess surprising. Um, the whole stacked deck of the election system here, it's, you know, it's hard to surprise me anymore. Yeah. But I figure it, it, it came clear why we are in the place where we are. I, for the life of me, and, and I'm certainly not an expert and, and I've actually laid off the news a lot over the last four weeks since you I needed a little since break. I have it. Yeah. It just, they disgust me. Um, <laughs> and I, I, uh. I, for the life of me, I can't figure out how Lori Lightfoot broke through. I'm I'm happy for her, you know, because God forbid it was, you know, what it could have been, which God only knows. Um, but at least Lori had the moxie to get into this race while Ron was running also. Yeah. You know, and that's a, that's a bright line for a lot of us. Well, if it wasn't for Lori, the runoff would essentially be with Daly, right? Be Tony and Tony and Daly. I think he came in third. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was surprised he wasn't in the runoff. I was, I was surprised Lori wasn't first. But now that you've explained a lot of the background, uh, pleasantly surprised at least she, she came in first. But I, I imagine Tony and um, Daly were going to end up being in that runoff. Yeah, well, that's not the case. Yeah, that's not the case. And I just, I and think there's some, there's some I thoughts Chicago on that. It's kind of done with Daly's. Well, I, it's at least another generation. The, there's a very strong rumor that. Uh, one of the power brokers in the state put up a different candidate who sucked a lot of votes out of Daly. And Daly has publicly blamed that guy, mm -hmm. Jerry Joyce, mm -hmm. for him not being yeah. I've, mayor I've, right now. And it's entirely possible. I don't know. But I, it, I never it, met truth Joyce. Be, so. Truth be not, that, well, I, I happen to like him. Uh, we got off to a rough start, but <laughs> so be it. Um, but in all honesty, I like Bill Daly, but he never even gave any policies. He mm. got on TV and said, I'm going to have a plan on day one to fix things. Right. It's time to shake things up. It's like, really? <laughs> that was Rauner. <laughs> he said really? that for, for the governor mansion four years ago. Well, We're going to shake up Springfield. Well. Yeah, I mean, he ran with a name. Which yeah. probably helped yeah. get a long way, but it to me again the words power broker and and the kind of tribal warfare and how much they can control media and how much money be behind unions backing each candidate to me is in, is insane. I mean, we all assume it exists, but it's it's not refreshing. It's um, I guess confirming now talking to you and listening to your experiences and. Um, we appreciate the candidness because we ass always assume it. You know, John and I sit back here before the show starts and leading up to the election, we just assume there's a lot of gamesmanship at a very high level. But hearing it from you is um, sad, but also kind of confirming of what we yeah. continue to believe. Yeah. It doesn't... Uh, it's going to make the book a little better. Yeah. Are you are you in the process? Uh, it's Yeah, kind of. Yeah? Yeah, I got some Chapter working one? on it. No, th this has been going on for a long time. I... I a lot of experiences before I got here. Yeah. I think that every police officer on earth can write a book. Yeah. Because oh, you I can imagine. You, you see things that the normal person doesn't see. Sure. And, uh, you know, then you throw in things like 
how we turned New York around, and then mm-hmm. my trip to Newark, and then yeah, my trip here. And September 11th. I mean, September you 11th. Yeah, there for that. Literally, I've I've managed, and that's not the right word. Riots, blackouts. Believe it or not, a hurricane. That's actually a funny story because I was in charge of I was the hurricane coordinator for Brooklyn South, <laughs> and my house got destroyed, and all we had was some wind in in Brooklyn <laughs> South. That's probably the reason. Why I'm divorced. <laughs> but, uh, you know, all of these experiences, uh, they were a big deal. Yeah. Managing the uh, Democratic National Convention in, I think it was 92. Um, I mean, just a, a lot of unbelievable experience. And, and, then, you, and then you throw in something like a 9-11 on top of it. Yeah. Oof. There's a book right there that 9-11. And you never went to an easy place to affect change. I mean, New York City, when you went there, we spoke about it last time, the crime rate was uh, astonishing, and you reduced it dramatically, went through September 11th. Newark was a difficult place to impact change, to impact change. And then Chicago, obviously, we've talked about it. It's a virtually impossible place to impact change. And on the crime front, you did an incredible job, and then continued to try to affect change. So, you know, you, you said something about being lucky or being in the right place. I always use the quote, it's not being in the right place at the right time. You have to be the right person in the right place at the right time. And I think that's the key that most people miss. And you were the right person there in New York, Newark, and then Chicago. It, uh, we were very bummed um, at the end of the uh, first election that it turned out the way it did. E- even if it was, um, you know, I listened to your, the speech you gave um, when you conceded. And I listened to all of them. I, w- I was up listening to everybody and listening to your uh, concession speech. It was definitely the most heartfelt. I told John the day after, and I think you had missed it, and I tried to explain it to you. Mm -hmm. I said, I watched every single person slowly start to concede, and watching yours, you could tell you genuinely wanted to affect change. And everybody else said, well, I lost, you know, best of luck to whoever makes it to the runoff, and see you later. Because one of the big things that you mentioned I didn't think about in hindsight when I was watching it is you really, not, not only did you put a year of effort in, you risked your own business, family's livelihood and everything to run for a year and attempted to affect change. So it was very heartfelt. And I, I don't know if you watched all of them, but I was watching them in kind of real time as they were happening. And yours, and I'm not saying this because you've been on the show twice now, but it was the most genuine one out of the entire bunch. Hmm. And I, I think it came through to more people than just me um, because you could tell you just wanted to affect change. So it'll be cool to read the book because successful people typically when they leave one thing being successful, they can go be successful somewhere else. But you've done it um, obviously in the police world and now in the business world. So I'm excited to read the book Thanks. when it comes out. I'm sure, it'll, I'm sure it'll be candid too, which is fun to listen to. Yeah. It, it, yeah. We'll see. We'll see if we can get it done. But, uh, yeah, I, I've certainly got some very funny stories. You should even, just get a reality TV show. Even in, that could happen, too. That would be a fun one. <laughs> do you imagine following Gary too. around with a camera? That could I happen, too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I was the guy, seriously, when I was a young officer that the old-timers didn't want to work with because stupid things just happen all really? the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some stuff that just, you can't, it, the, the, the reality of them is better than if I tried to make them up. Yeah. You just can't believe it. And, you know. <laughs> but then the, the other thing, Mo, that you, you mentioned, and, I, and I, I, I wear that as a badge of honor, that I haven't had an easy assignment. When, when I became a police officer, I was going to college with a, with a guy who, whose father was a captain in the NYPD. 
And he told me, Gary, when you finish your training, he said, let me know what precinct you want to go to because my dad says he could probably get you to whatever precinct you want to go to. So when I finished my training, I called him up, Howie, Howie Kaplan, and I said, hey, Howie. I said, I, I finished my training. I want to go to the 46th precinct. He goes, 4-6. I said, right. He says, okay, great. I'll tell my dad. He calls me back like 20 minutes later, and he says, uh, did you say 4-6? I said, <laughs> I said, yeah. He says, my dad wants to know if you actually took the psychological exam to come on the job because nobody asks to go to the 4-6. All you have to do is screw up, and you'll end up there. <laughs> because that's where you put they put you but i gotta tell you it was it was the best decision that i made in my police career because i went to one of the busiest precincts in the busiest neighborhoods in the bronx and you know i learned the job from the ground up mm -hmm. and i always say if you if you're going to own a restaurant you have to start by working in the kitchen yep so yep. If, if you go to a slow precinct and then you make sergeant and you go to a busy precinct you're going to be a bag of like nerves and yeah i mean i'm kind of proud of in the middle of crisis, I'm very calm. I'm very, very calm. I can see and I've, that. And I've had so many crises that it's just become part of me. I got, I got sent to precinct after precinct after crisis happened. Like, I, I, the first precinct I went to, well, actually, I got the first place I went as a captain was to internal affairs because we had a major corruption scandal, and they were putting legitimate police officers into internal affairs to legitimize it. Then I got my, my first precinct, and it was the only nice place that I ever worked in my police career, the Upper West Side of Manhattan. But then there was a bad police shooting in a 33rd precinct. Guess who becomes the commanding officer there? Then after that, there was the Admiral Louima scandal in Brooklyn, where a Haitian immigrant was sodomized by some police officers in the bathroom. Well, guess who went there <laughs> wow. after, after that scandal? You know, so, and, and then, you know, I just... Just amazing stuff, and I, I wouldn't change a damn thing. Well, it speaks to your bravery to go take on those situations because when those or, tough, or silliness, or, well, <laughs> because when they go wrong, uh, the buck stops at you each time. It, it you know, it's going to come back to you. But your management skill. Can I get? I want to give yeah. you a prediction. Shoot. The Kim Fox case is going to fall on the first deputy. Okay, because oh. that's what we do here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Joe Joe Maget who is supposed to be a phenomenal guy. I'm sorry I interrupted Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I like the prediction. I mean, I don't like the prediction, but I'm glad you made the prediction because when it comes true, we're going to say, Gary told you so. Mm -hmm. We'll play the that's, clip. That's what we do. <laughs> jo John asked, but we did discuss it. He goes, if you don't mind, ask if you haven't get asked Gary yet, can you please ask him on the thoughts on the state's attorney's handling of the JS case? Uh, yeah. Scroll back about 10, 15, 20 minutes, John, and your yeah, answer's yeah, there. We, we discussed it quite a bit. We did. You know, your management skills, because each of those situations, I mean, we can't, John and I, or the audience as lay people can't understand what it would take to go into each one of those situations, look at it as a completely new situation. Because for you guys, and correct me if I'm wrong, policing is different everywhere. And every situation is going to be a little bit different. And you have to go in there, take a tough situation, manage it appropriately, fix it, and then they move you on to another really crappy situation to have to fix. Um, do you find that that management skill set that you've gained has been really good transitioning into the business world? Um, well, we learned business management of policing, like I said earlier. Yeah. So that's what I'm, what I'm doing here. But the other thing that, that you didn't mention, Mo, that's very important to me is also leadership. Yeah. There's a difference between a manager and a leader. leader. And when you can manage and lead at the same time, that's a whole different game. I mean... Look, uh, I, got a, I got a lot of kudos here for what I did during the NATO summit, right? 
because I yeah, was out there on the absolutely. front line with the troops. But in the culture that I come from, there's no place in the world that I could have possibly been except in the middle of that if I'm making the calls on the ground while things are happening. I'm not going to be hiding in a command center somewhere. You know, during protests in New York and in, in Newark, I was always out there, and, and same thing here in Chicago. So leadership is very important to me. I studied leadership, and leadership translates into everything, Yeah. right? It's the way you treat people. It's giving people a voice. Every time I, I took over a new precinct, everybody who worked in that precinct, I made them come into my office for at least a couple of minutes, tell me about themselves, tell me what I could do to make their lives better. Then I would tell them about me and what my expectations were for them. So, you know, leadership translates to a lot of different places, and, and you have to treat people with respect. And that's not what we do here. That's not what we do here. So, you know, um, I, it, it bothers me that I think that I, I have a skill set that, that may be going to waste now. But maybe it's time to stop being Peter Pan and grow up and realize that <laughs> i got to kind of stop playing in the, in the world that I love to do and, you know, get serious and try and take care of my family. Well, you've, you've done a lot to impact a lot of lives. Obviously, your leadership has, I'm sure, been looked up to by a lot of people in Chicago, in New York, in Newark. Um, and um, I, um, yeah, I, I just, uh, I don't think it's go it's been wasted. I think uh, I'm sure there's so many people in uh, not just this city in New York, Newark, everywhere who've been impacted by your leadership, your change. And your ability to uh, to take on big risks, even when sometimes, like you said, it, it, the risks might have been, like you said, silly. I think your word was silly, silly risks. Um, but you've impacted a lot of people's lives. So I don't think it's gone wasted. And I think whether it's um, being a public servant, I won't say a politician, um, or a business person, or obviously a family man, you're, you're going to be able to affect a lot of change no matter what you're doing. Yeah, and we'll uh, John, I, I mean, I'm... Yeah, no, you wanna, I've got a few. You got a few? I do. Okay. Absolutely. You're looking at me with John has a whiteboard and he writes love letters to me. Um, so sometimes I like to call them director's notes, but you apparently have a crush on me and you want them to be love notes. That's fine. So we have one question and I think Gary answered part of it. Michael Bazzoni said, Why is voter turnout why has voter turnout been so low? You worked the city and it seems to me turnout would have been better. Follow-up question, will voter turnout this time be better or worse? I'll answer the second, second, second one, one first, which I think it's going to be worse. Worse. Oof. I hear so many people saying that they don't like either candidate and they're not going to vote. Um, so I think it's going to be worse. Uh, the, the low voter turnout, I think, happened for a number of reasons. I think the first reason is voter apathy. Um, we've learned here that you could vote and vote and vote, and it doesn't matter. You're going to get what you're going to be fed no matter what, yeah, right? So that's first of all. Uh, second of all, uh, too many candidates. People couldn't make up their minds. Um, too much noise around it. Uh, it was hard for anybody to break through the pack. Um, so th there's a number of reasons for it, but the number one reason is apathy. And uh, it's really troubling that the politics of this city serves the politicians. It doesn't serve the people who are putting people in office. Mm -hmm. It serves the people who are in office, which mm -hmm. is why everybody wanted that job after Rom dropped out. And, and I think that leads to voter apathy. So I think that's the biggest issue. Michael, there's your answer, buddy. Boom. There we go. 
John's got uh, questions. Yeah, just a couple. Well, a few. Uh, I know we talked about Tony and a lot of different things, but one of the things that she was all over you about, and I know about it, but I don't, I haven't heard you talk uh, on end about it. The whole Laquan McDonald thing. Now, I shouldn't say a thing. It was, it was a horrible situation. But from your perspective and what you could do or couldn't do, could you lay that out a little bit so that people watching can get a sure. your, and, and, your point of view? And, I, and I've done this so many times, I think I could do it almost in a succinct fashion. <laughs> um, You've never been asked this question before, yeah, right? I, I, not, but, right? Well, I, I just it, told you I spent two <laughs> hours explaining it to the Tribune, and they still screwed it up. That's why I... Which is on purpose. And uh, We will not edit this out. <laughs> we want to hear it. So You he, know where John works if he does. His, 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 <laughs> That's true. I could get you guys <laughs> off the roof here. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the fact is, right now, Eddie Johnson is not in charge of the discipline system of the Chicago Police Department, and neither was I as the superintendent. If I wanted to fire somebody, uh, I can only make a recommendation to the police board. And during that time frame that I was superintendent, the police board overturned my separation recommendations 75% of the time. Wow. So here I am. I want to fire somebody, and the mm. civilians who are supposed to be the overseers mm. aren't letting me do it. So that's a bad business model because I'm obviously accountable for everybody's behavior, but I'm not in charge of the discipline. Right. You can't so how can I change. affect the change? Right? Right. right. So that's the first thing. That's a failed system. Accountability without authority. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is I was not in charge of the investigation into use of force for CPD, as Eddie Johnson is today. These flawed systems still exist because they serve the politicians. If you keep the, 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 the ground muddy, mm -hmm. you can't tell what happened. And that's why this is so frustrating for me. So I'm not in charge of the investigation. There was only, that was done by, at the time it was Independent Police Review Authority, they changed it now to, they changed IPRA to COPA, so it must be much, much better now since oh, they changed absolutely. the name. Yes. Um, now it's the Civilian Office of Police Accountability. They're in charge of the investigation. The cover-up of the, I could take exactly one step by Illinois state law, because what we do here in, in Illinois is we take contractual obligations, we go to Springfield, and we make them into laws. <laughs> It happens over and over and over again. CTU does it. The, the police unions do it. And in this case, I could only put Jason Van Dyke on paid desk duty. That's the one step that I could take. Really? That's all I could do. I could have fired him. I wasn't in charge of the investigation. But here's the kicker, and I only learned this after about six or eight months after I was fired. No, it was longer than that. A year later, Steve Patton, in January of 2017, uh, Steve Patton resigns. No, 2016. January of 2016, Steve Patton, who's the corporation counsel, resigns. And when he resigns, he does an exit interview with Franch Spielman from the Sun-Times, and, and he says to her, when I saw that video, I knew then, and I believe it's been borne out now, that it was a case of murder. And I said to myself, well, how did the corporation counsel then get the city council to sign off on giving $5 million of taxpayer money when an officer committed a murder, right? right? And this being Chicago, when I articulated that to enough people, 
One day I went to work, and what landed on my desk was Steve Patton's testimony in front of the corporate, in front of the uh, city council finance committee, which happened in, ironically, early April of 2015 when Ron was in the runoff with Chewy Garcia. Mm. And here's the circumstances. The family of Laquan McDonald approached the city around March 28th, and by April 7th or 8th, Patton is in front of the city council with a settlement for a lawsuit that wasn't filed. They never filed a complaint. Whoa. So w what we have is Patton going to the city council, describing the entirety of the video, and he tells them uh, that there was no complaint filed, but we give money away like this all the time mm -hmm. uh, when a complaint isn't filed. He describes the actions of every one of the officers. He doesn't tell the city council that there's a caveat in the agreement not to release the video. And that was done to prevent the video from coming out before the runoff election, which probably would have pulled the rug out from under Rahm Emanuel. Yep. So there's a crime that's called official misconduct, which has it that a public official or agent of the government, when they do something they're not supposed to do, to benefit themselves or somebody else. It's called official misconduct. So now that Van Dyke has been convicted, now that the trumped up charges against the three officers for conspiracy, mm -hmm. uh, which by the way, many people missed this one, but Pat Patricia Brown Holmes, the defense attorney for Jesse Smollett, was the special prosecutor that was appointed in that case that brought the charges against the three officers that was just dismissed. And they're considering suing for malicious prosecution. Huh. It's an evil cabal. And by the way, she actually donated to Preckwinkle and Kim Fox uh, campaigns. Really? Yeah, this is all coincidence, I'm sure. Right? Oh, of course. <laughs> right? But the bottom line is Steve Patton committed a crime of official misconduct by giving away a $5 million payment. And when I describe to people that it's on the civil side, they don't understand what I'm talking about. And I first have to explain that I had no control of the criminal investigation in the first place. Let so, alone the civil. So, I mean, that's the circumstances of how this thing happened. That's why I've now asked the state attorney general to investigate the circumstances of the cover-up, because that's sure. the story. Sure. And go lock them up. It's, it's <laughs> astonishing to me, because obviously the media, and we've, we've said this a couple times already, um, can influence a story whatever which way they want, that you only had the ability to put them on desk leave. I mean, it, it's crazy because, I mean, obviously everybody looks to you to affect the change that you're, no pun intended, handcuffed from doing. You can't do it. Yeah. That's unbelievable. I, I didn't even know that. But a lot of people do not understand the difference between a criminal case and a civil case and the fact that two of them can happen together. Um, but it's astonishing to me. I didn't well, know that. First of all, the, there is not a case in the city of Chicago that got brought to the city and turned around in less than two weeks. It's mm -hmm. simply, I yeah. refuse Judicial to believe that, 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 right. it's, that it's going to happen. Right, right. Um, especially without filing a suit. The only reason it happened that quickly is uh, what I just described, the politics. Yeah, it's... Uh, well, John definitely wanted to talk about the politics of politics. I, I wanted to talk it's, about um, the politics of politics. I, 
you know, as I sit here and I digest it, and I'm sure I'll go home and digest some more of it. Yep. It's uh, what we thought it was times a lot. And what's that? Uh, it's a TV show I used to watch. Uh, ah, it's like the. Pr- I, forget I have it. no idea. It's, uh, <laughs> you uh, just reminded me of the title. Yeah. Of, that, of that guy who said, we don't want nobody, nobody, nobody said. Nobody says. The patriarch officer. Ah, I see. There was somebody in city government called the patriarch officer. Really? No, really? patronage. Patronage, patronage officer. Patronage. The patronage officer. In other words, this is a guy who gives out the jobs based upon patronage. <laughs> I, I believe that's illegal. <laughs> but wow. it was. I was watching some... TV show, and I don't know why it slipped in my mind. It's getting Love late, and I'm tired. Uh, no, and it was talking about how, like, at the uh, the presidential level, how much corruption there is and how much mm. gamesmanship there is and there, how much politic and uh, political positioning there is. And we always assumed it's there in Chicago. Everybody jokes about Chicago politics. But hearing you talk about how much the media controls it, how much the unions do, how much there's a political machine, it's, it's frightening. And it, it, it almost seems helpless from somebody's standpoint who wants change and i'm sure it feels even more helpless for you who had to run against that um it's it's disappointing yeah it's, i thought we were going to break through it i really yeah. really did you know we were disappointing. hoping we were definitely hoping yeah, we got one more yeah you got one more yeah one more uh and you touched on the gentleman's name that i'm about to bring up uh you haven't been in the position that he is now uh Eddie Johnson. I, I don't know what to think of him, and not that I really have a whole lot of reason to think a lot of him on a regular basis, but you being in that position, what is, what's your take on where he's at? I mean, what he's, how he's doing with what he's dealing with? How, what is your take? Um, look, I like Eddie. I promoted Eddie twice. Okay. I need to be clear about that. Um, his style is not my style. All right. And um, I would have handled things incredibly differently. As a matter of fact, when he got the job and we spoke, I told him that he had an opportunity to hold the mayor, the mayor's feet to the fire rather than the other way around. Okay. Uh, Especially since, and everybody forgets this, talk about the Chicago way, Rahm had the city council change the law for one day so he could appoint Eddie Johnson. Do you remember that? Nobody remembers that. It's a fact. The method by which the police superintendent is selected is defined by municipal law in Chicago. Police board does a search, national search. They give the mayor three candidates. If the mayor likes one, he selects them, gets them uh, approved by the city council. If he doesn't like one of the three, he throws out the search and they do it all over again. And in this case, uh, Ron made the mistake of actually Uh, selecting a guy who's a good friend of mine. His name is Cedric Alexander. He's an African-American. He has a PhD in criminology, and he was the public safety director in DeKalb, Georgia. Now, why would Ron think I would know a guy from DeKalb, Georgia? Mm -hmm. Well, that's because I was vice president of the Major City Chiefs Association, Mm -hmm. and I know virtually everybody in the country. Cedric calls me and says, Gary, I got the job. I said, wow, that's great, Cedric. We got to talk. So this is on Friday afternoon. And he says, all right, I'm heading back to Georgia. He says, I'll be back next week for the announcement. Mm-hmm. He says, I'll come in tonight night before we'll have dinner. I said, great. By Monday, Rahm had gone to the city council black caucus and said, hey, I selected the guy. He's African-American, Cedric Alexander. 
And the city council said, that's great. He's African-American, but he's not our African-American. And Eddie Johnson is a good guy. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means that they weren't going to back Cedric Alexander. They wanted an insider who they knew, and they suggested Eddie Johnson. Ooh. Eddie Johnson had not applied for the job. So you put all of those circumstances together, mm. and, the, and, the, and the tomfoolery of changing the law for one day so Ron could pick whoever he wants. If you don't like the checks and balances, throw them out. Change them for a day. If you don't like the fact that you have to petition a judge to be recused, just don't do it. Yeah. That's what we do around here. Go to the right? Oscars. Yeah, go to the Oscars. So with all of that in mind, I told Eddie, I said, Eddie, don't kowtow to this guy. Make him do the right thing and stand up to him. And mm. he never did. And that's very disappointing for me. Mm. Okay. But, but worse than that, he, he did things that never should happen. When he marched on the Dan Ryan with, with Father Flager, Oof. he violated the law. If, if CPD is violating the law... How do we tell criminals you can't violate the law? Well, then again, nobody's getting held accountable, right? So it doesn't matter. I'm going to go 100 on the way home. Might as well. <laughs> yeah. Tell him I know Gary. He said nobody's being held accountable. Yeah, right. The TV show was Scandal, by the way. Oh, oh dropped, eh? very good. He came back. Somebody yeah. asked Gary. He says, Gary's the man. When is the last time he shaved his mustache? <laughs> uh, June of 1977. My yeah. mustache is older than my wife. You hear that, John? <laughs> That, that was the day I graduated Cardinal Spelman High School, and I actually have a picture of that day on my phone just for the hell of it. That's, <laughs> That's <funny>. awesome. <laughs> when was the last time you shaved it? Is it every morning thing? No. A little trim? Like, no. Just to trim it? Oh, I, no, I buzz it. Buzz yeah, it? Once a week. But you've never totally shaved it off since no. then? No. June wow. of 1977. Wow. The day I graduated Cardinal Spelman was the last That's day I shaved awesome. my <laughs> He said savage. I was, yeah, thinking, yes. I was thinking of doing it for charity at some point. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah. That, we got to raise a ton of money for that. Yeah. I once said I would shave my head for charity, didn't raise any money. Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't going to shave it. So, but I, really? Yeah. What, are you going to offer money for me to shave my head? Yeah. St. Baldrick's? Next March. Okay. Oh, you don't know about St. Baldrick's? No. I'm yeah. afraid to shave my head because I got gaps that may not return. <laughs> <laughs> well, Although, I, I got to tell you, I'm really happy with the amount of hair that I still have. I'm almost 60. Both of my brothers, by the time they were 30, were bald. No kidding, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, this, you're not going to bald. No. No, you're, you're no, set. No, you got it. You're set. All right, you're set. Good. It'll, it'll recede, but you won't bald. I'm, you could always do it, John, and just well, come everything gonna, over the front. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to get remarried, I can tell you that, so it doesn't matter. If I go bald, I go bald. <laughs> uh, what do we got? I think back when Bo Derek was, okay, pinup girl of the year. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. 1977? <laughs> yeah. Somehow John knows that. The movie 10? Well, I mean, John has these oh, facts Demetrius. like that. Yeah. Demetrius is a fan of the show. He yeah. somehow has those facts. No, yeah. um, did you end up taking a little back. vacation after no. the election? No? No. You're due one then. Yeah. But you got a little one, so. Yeah, we got a two-year-old, and he kind of takes up a lot of time. I did do some uh, cathartic woodwork, um, building some stuff in the house. So, yeah? Yeah. I get a lot of pleasure. It's a good it. hobby yeah. for you? Yeah. When I got fired, I built the benches on my deck. Really? <laughs> when this happened, I, I, I'm building a, a, a back bar for the upstairs. It's all nice. fun stuff. It all leads to a yeah, good time. Right. Yeah, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. We've got a great, you know, private deck, southern exposure, so might as well make the most of it. We're drinking at Gary's next time. Boom. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> we might get the invite. Somebody said, oh, boy, Mo Bald would be awesome. No, I got a big egghead. 
It's deceiving. I shaved my head one time. I got a terrible head. Every time I've ever been hit fit for a helmet, they say, what are you, a medium? I'm like, no, a large is tight on me. And then I put a large on and it's nice and tight. So I don't look good bald. But I don't think I'm balding either. No. no. I don't think you are. Um, I did shave my head sophomore year of high school for football. You still playing? No, I stopped at 50. Yeah, that's right. You said that last time. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped at 50. Fair. And yeah. I feel it every day. Trust me. <laughs> well, you're in good shape. Yeah, but the 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 knees, the joints, everything else hurts. Are you working out now? Oh, that you yeah. have more free time? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm back in a big way. Awesome. Um, well, we kept you for a long time, and we appreciate your time again. Um, Today was informative for me on a very high level. It's a lot of things that I thought were likely happening, um, but you took it and you explained it uh, at a higher level for us. Um, obviously, personally, very disappointed the election turned out the way it did. But um, like we said, I don't think Chicago was ready for change. And we really appreciate how candid you've been, but also um, how much you've brought to light for me, John, everybody listening, and everybody listened to you on the campaign. So many things that hopefully Chicago and hopefully Lori, um, if she uh, if she wins tomorrow, will at least take in the right direction because I think forward motion in any which way at this point is is, is a is a step in the right direction. So thanks again for coming on. I mean, you, um, you've taken a lot of time to talk to us. Like I said, at the top of the show and the last time you were on, we're a tiny little operation. And Gary coming on and giving us his time last time and his time again um, really shows uh, to me. And I know everybody who reached out after the show, they're like, oh, you had Gary on. And, you know, I, I said to everybody and anybody who would listen, he really did want to talk to everybody and the average person. Yep. And John and I tried nonstop to get other people on the show and not a single person. Nope. We had one confirm and then cancel, which was almost worse because he mm. threw us for a loop. <laughs> really upsets John. Keeps yep. him up at night still. But <laughs> it uh, it really showed uh, your true character. And uh, I'm excited to see what you do with uh, the businesses and uh, the woodworking and working <laughs> out and all that good stuff. And I, if you write the book, I can't wait to read it. Yeah. There, there'll be some stories in there that you're just going to shake your head at. <laughs> I can now, now getting to know you the last uh, couple months, I, uh, I can imagine there'll be fun stories yeah. and candid stories, yeah. which is always fun. John, anything from you? No, I, uh, I, think we're, I think we covered a lot, and thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, My we'll pleasure, keep in Jeff. touch, absolutely. Come back anytime you want. I know you and I talk somewhat, not on a regular basis. but John's going to call you every day going forward. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> Gary, how are you? What are you doing now? What are yeah. you doing now? What are you doing now? Yeah, Can we exactly. hang out? No, but uh, yeah, anytime. Uh, I'm going to assume with the, the conversation we've had, you're expecting, hoping for, and expecting a Lori victory. Tomorrow. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The, the alternative, first of all, I have respect for Lori, okay. um, but the alternative is just too, too difficult to comprehend. Very good. Okay. So that's, that's the hoping part, but just looking at the polls and such, I mean, Lori, to the best of my knowledge, has a pretty big... Yeah, everything I've heard has her leading, but, you know, crazier things have happened. That's true. That's true. Yeah, so okay. turn out and vote tomorrow, people. I mean, it, that yeah. Gary made a good point, that whole, it doesn't matter, you know, who wins lesser of two evils that we, we spoke about is not an excuse not to go out and vote. No. Affect some change. I mean, if any forward motion is uh, 
is, is a step in the right direction. Yeah. Got to get involved. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much again, yeah. Gary. Right, um, are you going to do the Wednesday graphic, John? Oh, yeah. We have a show a, in two days. Usually it's a week later. I know. We do. We have a great show actually coming up uh, on Wednesday, 3 o'clock as normal. We have Joseph Toda, who this guy is a riot. He owns, well, he owns a couple of places, but the Red Arrow Tap Room, it's out in the Burbs, and it is a self-serve beer bar where you, I'll let him explain it, but you can go and try a bunch of different things. You only get charged for what you try. So I know when I'm out, if something is on tap, I'll try it. But if it's a new beer and it's in a bottle, I don't know if I'm going to like it. I don't want the whole thing. He set it up so you can just try a bunch and just buy it by the ounce. You can try wow. this, that, and the other. Oh, super. That's super a novel idea. Guy. Yeah. It's a quick way to get drunk. It is indeed. Uh, but we also have the second half of the Polar Vortex show. Yes. We have uh, John Porter. He is the founder of the Chicago Pizza Tour. Oh, cool. He's coming on. So another great personality. Uh, it's going to be a really fun show. So we got beer and we got pizza. And I Are believe- they bringing beer and pizza on? Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You gave Gary crappy wine <laughs> from the cooler, we, and we, we're going to... We, gonna, we, we. we, we. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. We, cool. might, we might indulge. And we're out of our diets now, so we can do that. Exactly. And speaking of that, I believe on a previous show, speaking of the challenge, you made me a bet whoever Shoot, beats I you or I has to take the other one on the Chicago pizza tour. Oh, that's right. So he beat you, me. And I even said, I had no like Gary. Date? I did not think John was going to beat me in a fitness challenge. Kudos to you. I hats off to you. Thank you. You sir. beat me. He gave me shit about my age. Oh, I just, and I'm a lunatic competitor. <laughs> so I came in second to John. So yeah. congratulations, buddy. So and I, a bet's a bet. A bet's a bet. So we're going to, I'm going to bring that up on to okay. John to make sure that he holds you accountable. You got it. If he doesn't, you will. I will. But uh, no, that's cool. That's all we got. Awesome. So we'll see you guys Wednesday at three o'clock in two days. Thank you again to Gary. Um, this was informative, um, disappointing, informative, but informative. And I really appreciate the time. Um, can't thank you enough. It's an honor for My me. Pleasure, John. Guys. Thanks. Thanks again. Absolutely. In three, two, one.